0: This is the College Football Fix podcast from USA Today Sports. We're back for Championship Week on the College Football Fix. I'm Dan Wolken. Paul Meyerberg is here. God, there's a lot going on. We have a lot to get to on today's show. Obviously, we're going to look at what happened last weekend, just monumental performance by Michigan. Uh, I think was the most notable thing. A lot of coaching carousel stuff going on, and then, On Sunday, we're going to know who's in the playoff. So I think we have a pretty good idea already. On Tuesday night, we got the penultimate rankings from the committee. And I don't think there was any surprise. Michigan, number two, even though I thought they had a very good argument to be number one. Georgia is number one. And so I would imagine they will stay there if they beat LSU in the SEC championship game. Those are your top two. I think TCU was a no brainer at number three, USC number four, Ohio State is number five. Then we get into, I think, what, uh, in my opinion, is the cutoff Alabama number six, and then it goes on from there. Paul, I believe this is pretty simple. My opinion is that the top three are in, regardless of what happens this weekend. I don't think there's any chance TCU can get passed by Alabama if there's a legitimate debate going on in that committee room, unless it's just rigged for Alabama, they cannot pass TCU. I don't care what happens in the big 12 championship game. And then really the only conversation is going to be what happens at number four, number five. And it's going to be a very easy conversation. If USC wins the Pac 12 championship game on Friday night.
1: Why are we even talking about Alabama's chances? Like, You kind of threw me a bit. I feel like Alabama's chances are 0.0%.
0: Because it's Alabama, and this is a media-driven world, and Alabama conversation, you just – I don't know if it's like just history or what, but people feel like they have to include them in the conversation. I don't. As far as I'm concerned, they're done because they can't pass Ohio State. Ohio State and Alabama are both finished. They're not playing. So, I mean, to me, I don't don't see how Alabama would jump up – over Ohio State, and I don't see how Alabama would jump over TCU, and so the best they can do is number five.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, Alabama shouldn't be in front of Tennessee. Um, they definitely shouldn't be in front of Ohio State or TCU or 12-1-1 USC. Yeah, to me, Dan, true or false, this is a five-team playoff race. True, right? True, this is, very true. Yeah, so to me, there's only one way this can unfold. USC loses, and Ohio State goes to number four which even that isn't a guarantee. I don't think it should be a guarantee. I think you'd still have to have a debate between those two teams. Or USC wins and you had the same top four as you had today. Um, so I think it's a very simple debate if one even exists. Like we have five teams for four spots. If SC wins on Friday, then forget it. We can have an easy, smooth Saturday, pre rate all our stuff, go to bed early.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's true. I mean, you know maybe potentially there could be a seeding change there. Like if TCU lost in USC won, then maybe USC's number three, but yeah, like, and look, I, I am under no illusions here. I, I think probably USC has to win because I just feel like the way this stupid committee works, they'll say, well, two losses for USC, both to Utah, which I think is a legitimate point, but, um, and they'll just put Ohio State in, and USC will be out. I think that's probably what they'll do. I don't necessarily think that's the way it should go because Ohio State's back home sitting on their ass this week. They have to risk nothing. They played so bad against Michigan, terrible. Mm -hmm. They choked from beginning to end of that game, and I would hate for the sport of college football for that kind of thing to be rewarded with Ohio State backdooring their way in when – they didn't have to risk anything whereas you know USC would have to play a very good opponent in utah so i hate that that's a possibility as far as i'm concerned we should it should all be about seeding this weekend but i'm afraid for usc's sake that they need to win
1: yeah i it, look it's if it was iowa state we'd be probably having a different conversation but it's ohio state and they've got a brand so yeah i think 11 and 2 usc probably fall short, Ohio State rounds out the field. But uh, Dan Wetzel, at Yahoo, wrote ends a little bit far just for the sake of having the conversation, but just about if you, if you can't play your way in on the final weekend, why should you be able to play your way out? If that makes any sense. Like if these are your four and they can all be in with a win, why are they all, or why are two of them potentially out with a loss? I'm probably missing one of his points in there, but just generically speaking, like I don't think there should be any question about the top three. And I think even if USC loses, I want us to have a debate about SC and Ohio State because just having one more loss to me, is isn't a disqualifier. So that's like the one source of controversy maybe, but look, like like I said, by midnight or 1230 Eastern on Sunday or or Saturday morning, we it'll all be done. U- USC could continue to stay hot get that one defensive stop, beat Utah, and it's all moot. So. Yeah.
0: yeah, and I look, I think USC will win the game. I think they're better now than they were when they played Utah earlier in the season. That game was in Salt Lake City. It came down to a two-point conversion, just a complete onions call by Kyle Whittingham. Um, I mean, I have a lot of respect for Utah, and certainly I have some questions about USC. But, yeah, I think they'll take care of business, But yeah, it's just not. I don't want to say not fair because that's that's the wrong word. But if you put them side by side, Ohio State's got the best win between the two teams, which is the win at Penn State. Um, But uh, USC would have the next two best wins, which would be UCLA and Oregon State, and then they both did a better job.
1: Yeah, but they did a better. Like you're going to start splitting hairs here, USC. Their game control against...
0: Notre Dame. Two things.
1: Their game control against Utah, they were up by like 14 or 17 points at times in that game. And then uh, they did a much better job against Notre Dame. Let's just be honest. Different times of the year. but So if we're going to do that comparison, I think USC's resume is better. Overall.
0: Yeah. Um, But, sure, Like I think it's valid to say, all right, if you play Utah twice and you can't beat them once, why would you get into the playoff? You know, (laughs) so... I think that's a fair uh, comparison. but to go to Ohio State for a second, like if they get into the playoff on the back of that game last Saturday, let's talk about that game.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It would just be so dispiriting and a bad look for the sport, because look there have been teams that have have backdoored their way in, Alabama's done it, whatever. but no one's done it after a just absolute no-show like Ohio state had last weekend at home with all the revenge that they've been talking about for a year. You know, they change out their whole defense, bring in Jim Knowles to get tougher, you know, more physical because they got beat up last year by Michigan and Ryan day goes out there. He coaches tight, coaches scared. The team plays tight. They get up early. They had a couple chances to maybe land a knockout blow and they didn't, do it they couldn't actually execute and then here comes michigan can't run the ball at all really because blake quorum is just not blake quorum mm-hmm. can't can't really cut or move the way he normally moves you know and um yet jj mccarthy's out here slinging passes over the top of everybody's head like jim harbaugh i wrote about this saturday I Think about two years ago coming out of the pandemic disaster season on the heels of what had not been a great season in, in 2019, it looked done. It looked over like the experiment failed. You know, I bought in when they hired Harbaugh Harbaugh. I was all in. I said, they're going to win a national title. Harbaugh. Is it that special of a coach? And then it just couldn't happen. Wasn't, wasn't beaten Michigan state enough. Wasn't beaten Ohio state at all. Looked like it was done. They didn't really have the guts to fire him. So they cut his salary. He accepted it, started over, and what have they lost since then? Two games, mm-hmm. one one to Georgia in the playoff and one to Michigan State last year. They're about to go back-to-back Big 12 titles. Amazing. And that game against Ryan Day, he coached Ryan Day into a clown suit in that game.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think he coached Ryan Day back to second base. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> he had to go back. Um, a lot of points in that game, Dan, that – stand out to me from an Ohio state perspective. And you mentioned playing tight. I thought a turning point uh, very specifically was 24 20 in the third quarter. Ohio state has the ball like basically midfield. And I just think at that point of that game, me feeling that watching on TV, like here's the inevitable kind of tipping point that we've seen Ohio state do a number of times this year that they get a short field, score touchdown they get a turnover they score touchdown you look up all of a sudden it's a two score game that was such a failed possession i think it was because of like you said a tightness a lack of comfort and unease about what they were doing on offense or how they could combat what michigan is doing on defense and to me michigan as a program under Harbaugh these last two years has been a group that like they'll sniff you out and i think at some point in that game they sniffed out ohio state and said Wow, you guys are super soft again. And we're just going to run right at you. And they eventually wore down Ohio State. Those two late touchdowns are just the exclamation points. I know they make the score look um, maybe more than it looks, you know, a 22 point game. Maybe it wasn't a 22 point game, but this is a multiple touchdown win by a team that, like you said, two years ago was left for dead and now is at the top of the Big Ten and is the absolute class of the Big Ten, you know? So maybe the difference to me, Dan, is it seems like Michigan went. From trying to beat everybody as a program, like that's what are we gonna build that we can beat everybody? To just building a program so that we can beat Ohio State, like they're just built to beat Ohio State because of the way they play, the kind of players they recruit, the way they develop. It's a real team compared to Ohio State's kind of collection of talent. That's what stood out to me on Saturday is that they're just a better, stronger team. So, yeah, the- bring it back to bring it back to playoff argument real quick. Like I don't know how you watch that game and say for a second. Ohio State deserves to be in the top four and play Georgia in the first round. Why would you want to subject yourself, that team, and the viewers to that sort of matchup? It's a disaster.
0: I want to pat ourselves on the back a little bit here because we've been talking about it on this podcast literally all year long, that there's just something not right with Ohio State. Yes, you can look at the final scores and the stats, and a lot of it looks good on paper. But when you've watched the games, they've Mm -hmm. just been lacking in areas where you expect them to excel you know, they, they mess around against Northwestern, right? Like why, why? And, and oh, you can't throw the ball or you can't score points because it's windy. Like what? Like, I'm sorry. Like, that's just not an excuse. Right. Um, You know, the game at Penn state was really hairy. Like they could have, you know, the game at Maryland was very much on the edge and they just hadn't played to their potential. But you know, when, when, when you go back to that third quarter, like you mentioned, I mean, the thing that made it even crazier with that decision to punt, if you remember, that was the drive where uh, it started with a, a holding penalty and the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty right. by, by uh, G. Scott. And it's first and 35, mm-hmm. right? And they end up working it back to fourth and five. You know, it was like maybe fourth and four and a half. At the Michigan 4 3, you're down four, and it's Ohio State. And you've got all of this offensive talent. You've got, you know, what maybe the best quarterback, second best quarterback in the country. And you're not going to try to get a first down there. What message does that send to your team? You know, Mm -hmm. so they punt it away. And then, you know, here you go. Michigan drives down the field, unbelievable drive and ends up uh, getting it in the end zone to make it 31-20. And then, you know, it's like Ohio State just – they just couldn't do anything. I mean, they just really – that was where Michigan knew – yeah, they, they knew that Ohio State was was absolutely not about their business that mm-hmm. day. And it just kind of became a – I thought a very sad-looking ending for Ohio State because they they just – I, I think they kind of let go of the rope a little bit in the fourth
1: quarter. Um, you wrote about Ryan Day late last week. Your point's more valid than ever when you watch the way they play about Ryan Day. Not going to get fired, not going to lose his job, not going to take a pay cut, but he's going to enter next season if he's still a head coach, not you know with the Bears or whatever, under a significant amount of scrutiny for going 0-2 against Michigan. You know who I thought about during the game, Dan? I thought about Urban Meyer during that game because I'm not saying Urban Meyer was like more of a genius schematically than Ryan Day or the guy they have on staff. Uh, He probably isn't, but um, for all his faults and we've documented them all down the line, his guys were like, you never, not always, but you, at least against Michigan, you never worried about them playing scared about being flat, about having no energy. Like, They had those games against Michigan State and Purdue and Iowa. But in this game specifically, you knew that they would be amped and fired up and that they wouldn't be scared. And I think there's a big difference between how Ohio State maybe prepares for this game and all games mentally under Ryan Day compared to Urban Meyer. Because Urban Meyer is the master of chaos and and motivation. So I thought about him during that game because the performance that he would have seen in that game would have not reminded him at all of the teams that he coached. That was evident to me through the TV screen.
0: Yeah, listen, uh, you know, Friday I wrote that column basically saying if Ryan Day didn't win this game, it was it was he was going to be on the hot seat. And you know, I got a lot of comments and people laughing at me and saying I'm you know the dumbest, the worst, whatever. But I mean, guys, like this ain't my first rodeo. You know, I, I know I know what this game means at Ohio State and how coaches are judged by the way that they perform in this in this game. And it's not just, yeah, Ryan Day's 45 and 5. Unbelievable record. I think he's a good coach. But you also have to recognize Ohio State how they view themselves here. They view themselves as the better program. And they're not wrong. Like over the course of history, Ohio State's a better program than Michigan. Mm-hmm. And they have more resources than Michigan. And they have more in-state talent and they recruit better. So if you are not winning this game, then that's a problem for the Ohio state coach. And you know, yeah, like Ryan day is not going to get fired this year, but you might get fired next year. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that's, that's a, that's a possibility.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's almost like Michigan is existing in 1986, which is probably where Jim Harbaugh wants to be at all times in the mid eighties. It's like, this just beat Ohio State. Who gives a shit about the rest? It's just like, we just got to win this game. Win this game, go to the Rose Bowl, do whatever. And like all that other nonsense out of the window. And I don't know if Ohio State, uh, it'd be silly to say they don't look at this game as being obviously like the most important on the schedule. But maybe Michigan just looks at this game in a different way than Ohio State. Ohio State's thinking forward. They're thinking about national championships. Maybe Michigan's just thinking about Ohio State. And that's the way that they run their program. So the, the, um, the idea that Ohio State has been lapped by Michigan, and Michigan's the best team in the Big Ten right now, I think is um, really damaging to their worldview that we are the best program in this rivalry or even the best program in the country. turns out you're not even the best program in the Big Ten right now. So that's a look in the mirror moment, I think, over the offseason. And truth be told, Dan, I don't know what they do, right? Because they've got the offense. They've got the offensive mind. They went out and paid for the defensive coordinator they wanted. Um, what are they gonna what are they gonna do? Like recruit twenty kids who know like who can step right in and beat Michigan next year? I, I don't know what they're gonna do, but it's gonna take a, a reimagination of like what they are about and and how the way that they play Michigan to beat them because I'm at a loss of how they're gonna beat Michigan next year based off the way they look the last two years.
0: Uh, in your mind, should Michigan be number one?
1: I don't think they should be number one in the playoff rankings. I can't overlook the fact that, yeah, beating Ohio State's the best win from any team this season.
0: They have two wins better than Georgia's best win. Michigan, oh, you know, the Ohio State and, yeah, win yeah, and the Ohio Penn State win State. are better yeah, I mean, than the Tennessee win.
1: Better than Tennessee. What do we have as Georgia's like fourth? What's Michigan's fourth and fifth best win? I
0: mean, well, that's you know right, Well, I, I would say their th- their third best win would be Illinois, probably, yeah. right? Fourth and would and be you know
1: Iowa,
0: Maryland. Maryland. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look, there's there ain't much there, but let's look at let's look at Georgia for a second. All right, their their best win was Tennessee. Their second best win was was that week one game against Oregon, right? And their third best win is is South Carolina. The re- the rest of it is. Samford, Kent State, Missouri, Auburn, Vanderbilt, Florida, Mississippi State, Kentucky, Georgia Tech. I mean, Georgia did not play this killer schedule.
1: They've got four top 25 teams, Mississippi State barely at 24. Yeah, it's not that great. But you know what? I think the committee would like Georgia to be in Atlanta. So let's just leave it at that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And look, if it's if it's Georgia USC, I think that's a great matchup. That that people want to see because Caleb Williams is so unbelievable, which brings us to USC's win over Notre Dame 38-27. Caleb Williams was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, the stats, you know, 232 yards passing maybe doesn't blow you away, but he was 18 for 22, one touchdown, no interceptions. And I think you also have to look at just sort of the way that game played out, how dominant he was with the ball and the way he was able to extend plays and twist around and get away from pressure and flick passes. And it was really quite a show. And, I mean, he's, he's obviously going to win the Heisman Trophy. Like, that's done. Um, and it's all, it's amazing to think he's got to come back to school for another year <laughs> because right. he looked he looked ready for the NFL – in, in that game for sure.
1: Yeah. Do you remember, we talked like maybe a couple months ago, which quarterback we would take, like if we were NFL team, we could take any quarterback who we would take. And I said, Caleb Williams. Um, I'm not saying that just go, I look great. So it wasn't like I was the first guy I thought Caleb Williams was great. Um, it's pretty clear to me that as you look at Bryce young, CJ Stroud and these other dudes. Caleb Williams is, like, kind of operating on a on a higher plane than those guys in terms of his command of the game, uh, his inability to get rattled or ruffled. He's just, like, he controls the game. He's got, like, game control going on, like a point guard. So, yeah, he's the Heisen winner. I don't even – I honestly don't even know who else would – he's not going to run away with that. I know Stroud's going to get some votes, but I don't know who else, if you're rounding out your group, you really look at and be like, oh, I'll rank him above Caleb Williams. I think it could be Caleb Williams by a pretty significant margin at this point. Stroud, two. Max Duggan, three. Something I, I like really that. don't even know.
0: Yeah, it'll be something like that. Um, so w- we'll see. I mean, I don't know if USC is is going to compete with Georgia if they get in there, but you know, certainly they're back. I think we can say that. They're back. And um, boy, how about... How about Oklahoma fans watching this all unfold in USC right now, where, you know, as Caleb Williams is doing that, Oklahoma fans are watching their team with a quarterback who uh, is certainly not Caleb Williams lose in overtime to Texas Tech to finish 6-6 six and six in Brent Venable's first season. You know, there there was a lot of Oklahoma fans who, you know, were very mad at Lincoln Riley and are still mad, and I understand that. But, uh, boy, there's going uh, to be some growing pains.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I heard Lincoln Riley is going to buy a mile of Oklahoma State Highway and name it the – okay, he'll name it Route 6 and 6 is what he should call that little space. Um, yeah, how do you like that? Uh, I went, me personally, from Oklahoma – or from USC winning directly to FS1 to watch that um, amazing overtime possession for Oklahoma and then their loss. Uh, it's not easy. These things are hard. Breakups are hard. Breakups will break your heart and they'll really make you think. And years later, just when you think that you're over your breakup, you'll see something and you'll be like, wow, I remember Lincoln. Remember those days? And you'll get really nostalgic. How do you like me now? I guess is what Lincoln Riley would say, but he's, he's past it. You know, Oklahoma made there. it's just a good, like, it's a good, it's a good reference point for you know the next fan base that goes nuts when their coach leaves. Just, just wait, see if the grass is green. All
0: right, let me ask you this: Did Oklahoma hire the wrong former assistant coach?
1: And do you know who I'm talking about? Could well, I mean, I can think of one very noticeable, notable former assistant coach. But was that assistant coach gettable at that point?
0: You mean I last? Mean, I- Last year, I'm
1: actually. Well, I'm thinking about Josh Heupel, but you oh, might be no, no. thinking about someone else. I'm thinking about Shane Beamer. Oh, oh, good one. Well, that's like that was a way recent one. Um, so we need to talk about the way South Carolina has has blown up the world these last couple weeks. They you they know?
0: knocked out two playoff teams.
1: I mean, unreal. And look, like it may be fake Dan, about last season. You remember last year they were playing like. They were playing a GA at quarterback for a couple weeks because they yes. didn't have anybody. A guy who and had basically su-
0: retired from football, right?
1: Right. And they somehow got into a bowl game. And it was like, I remember just being stunned by that. This, to me, is like even more stunning because this was a pretty average SEC team for almost two and a half months. In the last two weeks, they've turned into just giant killers. So, Yeah. Shane Beamer, if the job opens today, maybe that's a deeper conversation. What do you think? Do you think Shane Bieber would have gotten the job? I mean, if the job opens today, would Shane Beamer be a realistic candidate for an Oklahoma position? Probably
0: I think you'd have to be, right? I mean, yeah. I think you can look at it and say, Oklahoma made a mistake. Like, yeah, Brent Venables, you know, his history at Oklahoma was revered in many ways and uh certainly had, had been a unbelievable defensive coordinator at Clemson, but you know Shane Beamer, yeah. Shane Beamer was just the you know the special teams coach for for a few years for Lincoln Riley. You know maybe uh, you know maybe they maybe they missed it. You know and I mean Joe Castiglione's one of the great athletic directors ever in college sports. You know maybe he just missed it.
1: Yeah, I wonder. Um, and maybe we could. This would be a way to for you to give your thoughts on Dabo. But when you for Venables coming to Oklahoma, having spent twelve years or whatever under Dabo Sweeney. Like one thing we know about Dabo is that he's like, I know what I'm doing, I have a plan, I'm gonna see the plan through, and we're gonna stick to the script. Like, is that what Venables is gonna do at OU? Is he have a plan? Is he gonna like change course because he's seen what works and what doesn't, what hasn't? Is he gonna be uh, you know, stubborn? I don't know. But what I saw from year one suggests that this is not gonna be like a ten and two team year two. Like this roster is not in good shape and it needs real help to get back to the top of the big 12 or just to get into the sec and not get ripped to absolute shreds i don't know what they're going
0: to do i think it's i think it's a real i think it's a real crucial offseason there because it's just it's just not good and you know I, i'm sure that there's growing pains and all that stuff but uh Look, you can't follow the Clemson playbook necessarily at Oklahoma. It's a different, it's a different situation. I mean, Clemson was was kind of the underdog program that had to be built up, you know, to to get to the mountaintop, and we'll, we'll talk about them in a second. But Oklahoma's royalty in college football, and I just think you have to treat it in a different way. Um, Venables knows what that program's all about and what the expectations are. You know, there are some people who are just not cut out to be head coaches. I'm not saying that that's him yet, but yeah, like he's going to have to turn this thing fast because six and six gets you, gets you on the hot seat at Oklahoma every time.
1: Yeah, well, hadn't been six and six in a really long time. And I think the difference between Venables and, and Mario Cristobal, for example, Cristobal's debut at Miami was an unmitigated disaster, but at least you have a track record to look back and say, well, okay, he, he built up FIU. I think he knows how to how teams take the next step. Uh, he did transform Oregon. Um after, you know, a chaotic 36 months of coaching changes into a really good program. So Venables doesn't have that credibility. And I think that's the concern if I'm an OU person is why do I believe that he's got the tricks up his sleeve to make this work? And I didn't see anything this season that makes me believe that like they're even that close. It's just a really poor team, just not a good team, not talented, not good.
0: Yeah. So let's go to Clemson really quick. I mean, it, it's all connected here, since uh, they are in this odd position of being ten and two, playing in the ACC championship game against North Carolina. But South Carolina knocked them out of the playoff, and you know DJ Uiungulele played played really bad. I think nine for twenty seven or nine for twenty nine passing, something like that. Um, and you know Dabo's, I don't Dabo's not taking it well. No, um, you know I think he's kind of gone into the bunker here. And is just like he doesn't you know he he doesn't like to be criticized, and I get it, man, like you you've you've done it there. You won two national titles, and you did it your way, and that's amazing, and no one can ever take that away from you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but I do think like after this year, the way they play, they've been very average. when you look at standards of of Clemson's heyday, they are several notches below that. and um. You know, they're 10-2 and because the ACC is a train wreck. I mean, let's let's just be real about it. And they, you know, could have lost to Wake Forest, NC State, Syracuse, right? Um, And Florida State's coming, by the way. So, you know, like, you better buckle up if you're Clemson and get this thing turned around real fast. Um, But, uh, you know, there was an interesting moment, I guess, on his call-in show the other night where somebody just kind of questioned him about – you know the the quarterback, and um, you know, and and whether or not he, he's he's reacted poorly to questions about, you know, about about the offense, about the quarterback, and um, you know, here's here's what he said, and it's you know, like everything with Dabo, it's a really long answer, so I'll I'll <laughs> just give you the best part. Every year's different. Nobody's got their head in the sand. We've got to get better in a lot of areas. We know that, but if we want to fire the head coach and fire the staff every year if we don't make the playoff then you're going to have a new head coach here very often, and you're going to have a new staff here every year because that ain't going to happen a lot. There's only four teams. If that's the mindset of Clemson, there will be a new head coach here, and there will be a new staff every year, and we'll be a very mediocre, inconsistent program. That's how I look at it. I get it. I know what my job is, and I'm going to do it. There's nobody that works harder to represent Clemson, cares more about Clemson and the brand of Clemson than me, I promise you because I know where we've come from. And I know when we won that championship in 2011, it hadn't happened in 20 years. We hadn't won 10 games in 20 years. Now we win 10 games and it's like, nobody cares. You go to the ACC championship. Nobody cares. That's not true. A vocal minority of people don't care, but I never listened to them people. And I ain't never going to listen to them people. So I hear you, but I'm going to keep doing my job and I've got bosses. And if they don't like how I do my job, they can send me out to pasture, but I'm going to keep, I'm going to show up every day, keep giving it everything I've got, blah, blah, blah. Listen, and, and see, this is where, like, Dabo, I, I, I've i said this before, and I'll, I'll just keep saying it. I mean, I think success has changed him. I think he's become more, you know, insular, more paranoid. I think, honestly, I think a big loss for Dabo has been Tim Bure, his mm-hmm. sports information director. Wow. Um, you know, Tim is still around the program, but he's not the sports information director anymore. Mm-hmm. And you know, for I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who know Tim Timberey, but I mean, how many years was he? Was he the sports information director at Clemson like thirty something? Thirty plus. Easily. Yeah, I think he was an incredible resource because he understands the media; he gets it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, I think he kept Dabo grounded a little bit. And I don't, I don't, I just, I think there's a little garbage in, garbage out going on right now. Nobody wants you fired, buddy. Nobody mm-hmm. none, of, nobody in that fan base is saying fire Dabo. What they're saying is, why does the offense suck? And why are we recruiting five-star quarterbacks who don't look like five-star quarterbacks on the field? What is going on? And that's totally fair. And if they don't address that and fix it, then we're not going to see them back in the playoff anytime soon.
1: Yeah, his comment, like, I was with him like 75% of the way in. It's hard to make a 14 playoff. Clemson has made it look easy um it's hard to win 12 games even in the ACC it's hard it's not easy I'm with them on that instead of instead of being like well if you don't like it fire me why don't why doesn't he turn into the Dabo who in 2010 or 11 I'm gonna get the years wrong went out and hired Chad Morris and changed the direction of his program like went outside of his family and hired a dude who he knew could win games on offense. Yep. Where's that guy? Like he needs to do that. And I think the problem is doing that means firing guys. He doesn't not fire loading. guys. Yeah. He doesn't, he just doesn't do that. Hey, okay. He does. But like, he has not done a very public one like that in quite some time. I couldn't even tell you the last time he very publicly in my, in my airballing well, the guy where he was like,
0: well, he, he fired Billy Napier early in his tenure. Of course.
1: You're exactly right. Yeah, okay. Well, that's a great example. Th- th- that was what sparked this. That's and didn't, what sparked it. And didn't
0: he, fi- didn't he fire Kevin Steele? And that's what... After West
1: Virginia. You're yeah. right. After the yeah. West Virginia game. Okay, so there you go. He went out. He had to get Venables. He had to get a Chad Morris. I, I feel like at this point, they could win 10 games forever, but if they want to win another national championship. He needs to rediscover... Um, I think he has not rediscover. He just needs to take a step back and realize that what he has right now is just not good enough. Like, I just don't think that the ingenuity is there on either side of the ball, let alone the fact that they can't develop QBs and they don't have the wide receivers. Like something has happened there very quickly and it can be fixed, but it's not going to be fixed by doing more of the same.
0: I agree a hundred percent. And we'll see what they do as they get into this off season. Let's go uh, coaching carousel. Let's start with Nebraska. Matt Rule. I had heard Matt Rule said no to them like twice. And Trev Alberts kept coming back. Kept coming back. And upped the offer, up the offer. Matt Rule finally said yes. He is the new coach at Nebraska. And um, I think it's awesome. I think it is exactly what they needed to do. I think when... It was clear Scott Frost was not going to work out. You and I both said, that's the guy you got to go get because he's going to get fired with the Carolina Panthers. And here we are months later and it happened.
1: Yeah. um, It's a really nice fit. Give Trevor Alberts credit for not taking no for an answer. And I, like you said, it's, it's, it was such a no brainer from like a, like chemistry and, and just, Personality fit that I'm glad it came together, and I'm glad for him because I do think that uh, after a decade of job hopping, three years, three years, three years, I think he really wants to like settle his career down and make this his permanent stop. So it's going to be a painful process. Like I think it's going to take several years to get them. Like it might take three or four years just to get back to that point where they're competitive. But I do think that he's he's the right fit at the right time. So. Uh, I don't give a lot of hires an A+, plus, but this is certainly an A-grade hire, I think, on paper.
0: Yeah, I think the only question mark is just, you know, what's the recruiting plan? Because that's where Nebraska's at such a disadvantage geographically. It seems like they have their house in order on NIL, which will be extremely helpful <laughs> as he goes out to try to upgrade this roster. Uh, but, you know, like if you're going to go to Texas, he had great connections in Texas when he was at Baylor. He, he mm-hmm. really built a great rapport with the high school coaches there but you know for kids like if you're gonna go from you know Houston or Dallas to to Nebraska you know think about how many schools you're passing along the way good programs you know right all the Texas schools Oklahoma Oklahoma State you know the Iowa schools Missouri you know you you, you got to go you got to go past a bunch of good programs before you land in Nebraska so I mean they've got the facilities and the fan base and everything the Nil, so I just want to know what he's going to do from a from a recruiting standpoint
1: yeah it's a it's a fair question I think what I think he'll recruit Texas the same way he did with Baylor you know it's not easy to recruit Texans to Baylor he didn't really have a lot of success recruiting top of the line Texas prospects to Baylor those kids typically went elsewhere but I think he he had a model of finding guys who could be transformed into you know the old Gary Patterson model of I can find a track star and turn him into an outside linebacker, but I can't turn an outside linebacker into an XYZ. So I think that's the model for it. But yeah, like that's not, if the model's like, Hey, we're going to sign the number one class in the country. Then you're like, okay, well this turnaround is probably going to happen pretty quick. But when your model is, Hey, we're going to sign the 88th best prospect in Texas, because I think he can grow into an offensive tackle or whatever. That's going to take a little bit more time. So patience is key. Um, he did get, I believe an eight year deal. So I mean, not, not that that means anything, but it does signify that, that there is going to be patience for him to put this thing together.
0: All right. So I think we can kind of do this sequentially uh, a little bit. Um, Saturday, Arizona state got the deal done with uh, Kenny Dillingham, offensive coordinator at Oregon, another hire that, you know, looked pretty much looked pretty much uh, like, I don't want to say it was done, but, the minute that job opened, it was like, yeah, that's that's one for Kenny Dillingham. he's thirty two. he's gonna be the youngest coach in the power five. but I mean, he's just a climber, you know, just absolute climber. I, I, I remember Kenny told me he wanted to be a head coach by the time he was thirty. Mm-hmm. And it didn't quite work out, but I think getting a pack twelve job by thirty two is is uh, is pretty pretty much on the nose. And you know he's from there. he went to school there. He's got incredible relationships in the state. It's weird because Arizona State, has not really done very well with like the big-time high school players from Arizona. There are mm-hmm. big-time high school players from Arizona. They end up going everywhere else but Arizona State. He may be able to. He may be the guy who can turn that around a little bit.
1: Yeah, thirty-two. He's such a slacker. Um, speaking of his age, <laughs> would you give the controls of a power five program to a thirty-two-year-old? I mean, just take Kenny Dillingham out of it. Out of it. Does just being thirty-two give you reason for concern? Just the fact that he's thirty-two. Ten years ago, he was about to graduate from college, or maybe less. He might have graduated nine years ago. What What are your thoughts on how I mean, much a guy can learn in eight or nine years that can get him ready for this?
0: It's it's young, but like, what was uh, what was Lincoln Riley when he was Oklahoma's coach? I mean, wasn't he like thirty-four?
1: Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, but he had been there for four years, right? Or been there for three years. Yeah. yeah, I'm not. I'm just like trying to be devil's advocate. I think that Kenny Dillingham, as as you talked about, you know, when Herm Edwards was fired in September, he's been like that no brainer guy that seemed like everything was going to fit. But then you say that he's 32, and I just, you know, there's a lot. It's a lot. It is. There's a lot, a lot on your plate. There's it's a lot a- that you have to do. You know what I mean? So he will recruit. He will recruit. I think they'll have tremendous success recruiting. But you have to be willing to accept some some growing pains for a 32 year old first time head coach in the Pac 12.
0: All right. Then on Sunday, I think we got the first surprise of of the coaching carousel, which is um, Luke Fickle to, to Wisconsin. I mean, the talk had been the talk had been Luke Fickle or Luke Fickle had not really been in a lot of you know rumors. Uh, the talk had been that Wisconsin was going to promote Jim Leonard. Let's be honest, like you know, they elevated Jim Leonard early in the season and it was fine, but it, it didn't blow you away what he did with that team. Now that may not be a hundred percent fair because it, it could have just been a quarterback problem. Like I I will allow for that possibility, Mm -hmm. but if you can go out there and get a guy who just took Cincinnati to the playoff a year ago and who's done incredible job at, at Cincinnati, I think it's, 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 go do it like that's perfect and i think for luke fickle you know i think he'd kind of done all he could do at cincinnati and they're going into the big 12 it's about to get a lot tougher he's a big 10 guy he lived his pretty much his whole life in ohio and i think he probably looks at that at that wisconsin job is like yeah i can i can compete here
1: yeah um you want to feel like like you want to understand the argument for keeping Jim Leonard and why some people are angry, like, Oh my God, look what you did to our boy, Jim. He's our, like, we loved him when he played here and he's just a little, you know, pocket Hercules, but then you get a chance to hire Luke Fickle and you gotta be realistic. Luke Fickle, like you said, like accomplished, proven, big 10 ready coach knows the league knows the recruiting landscape. uh, Just knows what it takes to win these sorts of games. It's just like, goodbye, Jim Leonard. I'm sorry. We really appreciate you, but we have a chance to hire Luke Fickle. So I'm not like, I understand completely why Wisconsin would go out and hire a dude who could could come in with that sort of resume. It's really interesting, Dan, to think about um, Rule and Fickle being hired simultaneously. Fickle's going to win that battle early because he's got the better team. I mean, by leaps and bounds and early, but it's really interesting to think like three or four years down the road, what that Rivalry, if that is a rivalry, is going to look like between those two coaches.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think uh, you know, it's just been such a solid program over the years, and they they have slipped a little bit. You know, they've slipped a little bit over the past couple, and I think Fickle, you know, has a chance pretty quickly, especially if he can you know get a good quarterback to. Um, you know, to bring them back to to where they were, they were better than Iowa. They were better than, you know, all these other schools in the West. And, you know, he runs. I think he runs a system that fits the personality of the school. Like defensively, they're going to be great. You know, yeah, it's it stinks to lose Jim Leonard, who you know I know they feel like is one of the best defensive minds in college football. But so is Luke Fickle. So I think uh, I think Wisconsin should just be thrilled right now with how that turned Absolutely. out. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, All right, let's skip one that uh, deserves a lot more conversation, and let's talk about Georgia Tech. So a report came out Sunday that Georgia Tech was going to hire Willie Fritz from Tulane. And, of course, you know, Willie Fritz is trying to prepare for the biggest game at Tulane in, like, 25 years. If I were to um, read between the lines, let's say – on this, uh, I would say that Georgia Tech maybe got a little impatient here and was pressing for something. And Willie was not ready to actually like pull the trigger on anything before he coaches a game that is kind of the culmination of his rebuilding job there. A very long and hard one where the potential reward is amazing for that school mm-hmm. and that program to go to the, sh- the Cotton Bowl. And, you know, I think probably at that point it was like he, he might have, you know, just said, to heck with this. go You know, if you're not going to wait and, and you're going to start leaking stuff, I'm just going to stay where I'm at. Yeah. And um, they end up hiring Brent Key, which I think is fine. Like Brent Key did a good job as the interim coach. Uh, and I think there were some questions about Fritz, like from a recruiting standpoint, you know, in this region. I think there were questions about, his age? I mean, he's in his sixties. Like how long can you expect, you know, a guy to come in when you've got to rebuild a program? Uh so I think Georgia Tech ended up in an okay place with Brent Key, but that's a weird situation that, that played out over the last few days.
1: Yeah, I mean if if it were me, I'd rather have Willie Fritz and that's not a slam against Brent Key. Like we talked about him last week or at least two weeks ago and said, Well, like the work that he's done, I think, warrants him being included deep in the conversation to get the job. And and honestly, if one guy said no, I would just hire Key. Turns out that that might have ended up being the case. You know, he loves the school. Uh, you know that the team respects him because of the way they played for him. Just seems like a low ceiling. Yeah, you know, what I mean? just and and that's no. I mean, it's a combination of where they are, who they play. You know, but it just seems like there's a little bit of a lower ceiling there than maybe you might've gotten with Fritz Fritz at Tulane. Look, if you go win 10 games at Tulane, I think it's safe to say that you can probably win 10 games anywhere.
0: All right. And then, uh, the other really big one that got filled over the weekend is Auburn. They are hiring Hugh freeze. Um, not a, uh, not a surprise in any way to me. I mean, we, we've been talking about freeze and Auburn for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, the reaction of the Auburn administration to what happened in the Brian Harson thing was very predictable. Brian Harson, not an sec guy. You bring him in. It doesn't work. He's out in two years, less than two years. You're going to go back the other way and get somebody who's an sec guy. Who's got a lot of experience in the league and, uh, who was out there that they could hire. I mean, they weren't going to rehire Gus Malzahn. He would have been a guy. He would have been a native, yeah, sure. uh, Lane Kiffin was out there, and and certainly they talked to Lane, but uh, Lane's staying at Ole Miss for $9 million a year, even though his team completely uh, turtled down down the stretch of the season. We can leave that for another time. And they end up with Freeze. Now, interestingly, there was quite a bit of fan backlash to the Freeze hire because of his baggage in the past, and, and we all know there's a lot of baggage there. Um, I was surprised, actually, at, at the reaction. I mean, look. I look at the Auburn program over the years as a place where they just want to win. Yeah. They just want to win, you know, and, and, um, they don't mind a little scandal. Hmm. They don't mind. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, go back to Cam Newton. Right. Um, I mean, and they've had coaches over the years who've been NCAA rule breakers that they supported, that they liked, um, they, they gave uh, Bruce Pearl a second chance um, after his exile. And he's got a lot of baggage, you know, a lot of baggage over the years. And yet, for some reason, like, there was this real outcry about about Freeze. I don't really understand it. I mean, I don't know if it's a reaction to I, – I don't know. Like, I think, I think Freeze is going to win there I just I think he's gonna win he's gonna recruit his ass off and he's gonna do exactly what he did at every place he's ever coached which is put a really good offense on the field get a lot out of his quarterbacks develop quarterbacks and like they may not win national titles but they're gonna win a lot and I just like whatever you think if you freeze you may think he's a phony complete phony totally fine I've had plenty of of things to say over the years about freeze, but I don't think anything he did in his past that, that is public, anything that is part of the public record about freeze's background should disqualify him forever from getting an sec job. Like if you want to go hire him, have at it. Um, So I think a lot of these people who have been freaking out the last several days, will they'll chill over time. And like when he starts winning, they'll be pretty happy.
1: Yeah. That sounds to me like, like a Russian bot coordinated attack like there's no reasonable like if you're an Auburn fan you're gonna get upset about Hugh Freeze like I'm just like kind of flabbergasted Dan that there actually is a contingent of people who are going holier than thou for your football coach at Auburn University in the state of Alabama SEC country like are you for real um I'm not uh like going to apologize or excuse all the things that freeze has done wrong. We have the, we have the list. We have Google.com, but I just don't. I'm like, as you were talking, I was thinking like, Oh, so what's that? What are they upset about? There's a lot of little things or a lot of things period. But is there like one specific thing that people are getting up? Like are specifically getting upset about? I'm I'm just a little bit, I'm like thrown for a loop here.
0: Well, a lot of this has been like incredibly unfair. I mean, (laughs) the things I saw in my Twitter feed, about Hugh Freeze people were calling the things people called him were, were just so out of bounds, you know, and like he ain't Art Bryles. Okay. You can say a lot of things, but um, the, the stuff with the call and the escorts. Yeah. Don't not good. Like you can't explain that away. Right. Uh, But his wife forgave him. Like they worked it out. Like whatever he was doing outside of his marriage, like, and at this point that's not really any of our business. Um, It's been extremely embarrassing, extremely public, and he's been extremely apologetic about it is what it is. The NCAA stuff didn't like it. Not, not just because they broke rules, although that doesn't seem to care. Anybody, nobody really seems to care about that anymore. It was basically that, that they lied to a bunch of recruits about the severity of what they were facing at Ole Miss so that they could still, so that their recruiting didn't get slowed down. Mm -hmm. And, they they crafted this narrative that it was all Houston Nut, and Freeze sold that, and it was a lie. And I think it was con- very contemptible. Um, but some of the fault of that is is the media's, by the way, for buying it in the first place. I never bought it. I said, "You say this isn't a big deal. Show me the show me the paper. Show me what's in the case." And for months they didn't do that. When it finally came out, it was like, "Yeah, there's a lot here." Mm-hmm. But again, that's not disqualifying. You know, I think the biggest thing for Hugh. And the biggest reason why I'd be skeptical of him succeeding at at, at Auburn would would be the guy is incredibly thin-skinned and incredibly vain. He has had this habit over the years, including at Ole Miss, of going on Twitter and searching his name. And when he sees certain critiques, he will reach out to random people via direct message and try to win them over. Mm-hmm. Which um, is not only just a waste of time for somebody who should otherwise be a very busy person as a college football coach, and doing that doesn't really help you win games. Mm-hmm. It's also just pointless, right? Um, now, the thing about Freeze is he he's is a very gifted talker, and you saw that at his press conference, right? I mean, he's he's very good at at you know the he gets in that sermon mode, and you know he's very convincing, right? and i think he thinks in his mind he can use that to make everybody like him right you know but that's not the way the world works and he really wants to be liked he really wants to be liked so yeah there was a a thing that came up over the weekend about a tw- uh, a twitter dm to um a, a young woman who had sued liberty um over sexual assault uh, handling of sexual assault and um you know he he had dm'd her and it's the same kind of thing. Like, hey, I see all these. You know, you're you're blasting our program. I don't really understand why. I want to talk to you. I want, you know, that's Hugh. That's again. That's what he does. He wants somebody to like him. Now, I think. Um, I think some of the things and the ways people characterize that were just not supported by the screenshots of, of what we saw in the DMs. I think mm-hmm. people turn that into something. It's it's really not. And you know, especially when you consider that, like there was not her case her case had nothing to do with the football program at the time of Hugh Freeze's arrival like so you know i i don't know did he even know like it, it's it's just one of those things like that's not disqualifying for the job either like nothing he's done nothing that people are upset about is disqualifying you can add it up all the little things and say this guy's a train wreck and um, he, he shouldn't have the job. If that's your opinion, fine. But I just look at it and say, all right, if the criteria for Auburn is you've got to be somebody who has the, has the constitution to go win in the SEC, go head-to-head with Saban, recruit at the level like Brian Harson wasn't willing to recruit. There's not many people who have shown a demonstrated ability to do that. He's one of them.
1: Yeah, he will win games. He'll win press conferences. He'll win in, in living rooms. So he's a really good fit for Auburn. It's that maturity thing you mentioned that, that gives me reason for concern. You know, what has he learned from Ole Miss? What did he learn at Liberty that's going to prepare him, not just to, like, win – I mean, he's going to win – but to run a program and to be the leader that he's supposed to be in the SEC. Like, what has he taken away from Liberty? If he's still an immature dude who's Googling his own name or, or you know – suffering from butch jones itis and and can't stop reading his own headlines that's a problem and that's going to be a problem for as long as he's at auburn so let's just keep an eye on it we know he's going to have success i mean i i believe that he will reach a certain plateau i mean at some point like you're winning seven eight nine games every year if you do it right at auburn i think he'll do a good job um but let's just see like two or three years what does this program look like what kind of program is he running and and you know is he keeping himself in line? So he got his chance. Now he's got to prove it.
0: Absolutely. I would say maybe the biggest uh, surprise of the coaching carousel dropped overnight on uh, Tuesday into Wednesday. Trent Dilfer is going to be the head coach at UAB. How about that one? That that one came out of left field.
1: Yeah, that's that's wild. I mean, I don't even know what to say. Trent Dilfer to me is the – Guy who is very gifted at promotion, very gifted at um, at being behind the camera. I'm sorry, being in front of the camera. Very good at selling his, I want to say selling himself makes it sound like he's a con man. He's not necessarily a con man at all, but he's very good at being fitting the caricature of what a former quarterback, quarterback coach, offensive genius, offensive dude is. It's just very right on the nose. I'm shocked. I know he's had some success on the high school level. I'm just shocked that he is going to be the head coach of an SBF football program. I'm, I'm just purely shocked when I saw that.
0: Oh, it's, it's, it's strange. It's really strange. Um, so, and, and by the way, they're moving into the AAC. So, um, you know, they got to step up here. And that's, that's quite a gamble. That is quite a gamble by um, UAB. All right. There's uh, some jobs still open here. Uh, Tulsa's open. I think that's going to be kind of an interesting hire for for them because they actually have some pretty good candidates who are uh, connected to the area. Now there's been Mm -hmm. some talk about GJ Kinney, who's a former quarterback there. You know, I think you could see a Justin Fuente maybe get involved. He's from Tulsa. Um, You know, there's a few other pretty recognizable names I think it, it's it's a tough job. It's a very small school, not a lot of resources. Uh, Philip Montgomery was there for I think eight years, maybe seven, eight years. I mean, yeah. he, he hung on quite a long time, had some success. So uh,
1: I would take a look at Matt Wells there. Matt Wells, yeah, that's also. another one. Yep. I think absolutely. he'd be a really nice fit. He's from there, uh, and uh, he would do really well. I'd really take a long look at him.
0: UNLV's open. They got rid of Marcus Arroyo. You know, Arroyo kind of felt like they never had a shot. Came in mm-hmm. the COVID year, just no momentum. UNLV is one of those jobs. They've had four winning seasons in the last, like, f- 35 years or something like that. I mean, just nobody's oh. been able to ever get it going there. They have a new facility. They have a new stadium. You know, it, it should be better than it is. Like, you'd think at some point UNLV will just, like, luck into a few really good seasons. Like, I don't know why they haven't. Um, don't have any names there yet, but uh, that's one to keep an eye on. Colorado is uh, still open Deion Sanders says he's been offered the job do we think he's gonna take it I don't know I mean it's it doesn't feel like a Dion job to me
1: no it doesn't but if I was Colorado I would definitely offer the job I'd love to see Dion as my coach this seems to be more likely Dan to land in the uh in the Brian Harson area not specifically Brian Harson but more like that established, West Coast based guy instead of a home run swinging for the fences higher like Dion. That seems like it's probably not going to happen.
0: Yeah. Um, look, if Colorado's wanting to you know go all in again on football, I, I think it could be an interesting place. Um, I, I was around. I was actually working in uh, Denver back when they fired Gary Barnett. So this was mm-hmm. you know. Early, early 2000s. And I think there was, you know, there was a lot of scandal attached to the the end of the Gary Barnett tenure. I mean, there was an assistant coach who was, you know, buying escorts for for recruits. Um, There was a young woman, Katie Hinaida, uh, who was, you know, trying to be a kicker. And that kind of, the way Barnett handled that was was pretty awful. Um, You know, there was NCAA stuff going on. I mean, it's just, there was all kinds of stuff. And I think just the community and the school lost their taste for big time football. And, you know, Colorado, like Boulder, it's a, it's a hippie town. It's a granola town, right? That's kind of the vibe there. And it's awesome. Like, it's really fun, but it's, so how do you make that coexist with big time football? Like Bill McCartney was able to do it, but it got weird there Mm -hmm. under Bill McCartney. I just don't know if if that community has kind of rediscovered their thirst to to win championships, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, well, if they we have, then get Dion and ride the wave. You know, see what happens. Pay him what you need to pay him just to bring some excitement back. Like if you do want to charge the program, I don't know if Brian Harson or Bronco Mendenhall as maybe those are good hires. I just don't think they do that. Dion, I'll put fans in the seats. So if you're really serious about it, then make a serious run at him and pay him what he wants to get paid to to take over the job, you know, and take a chance, roll the dice.
0: Uh, and then we got Stanford. David Shaw goes to the podium after their final game Saturday late at night. It was I think everyone on the East Coast was already well asleep, and announces that uh, that had been his last game. He is he is no longer going to be Stanford's coach. I think it was certainly time for a change for both sides. Uh, it just Shaw took that program to unimaginable heights for several years there, but it just, it wasn't sustainable. And, um, I think it, it needs a fresh look. I don't know who they're going to go after or, or what that's going to look like. Uh, certainly the name Chris Peterson is, has been, um, bandied about. I just don't know if that's what he wants to do. It's, it's a real challenge there.
1: Yeah. You need a very specific type of guy. Um, a couple of, months ago when it seemed like rice was going to win seven or eight games i would have said yeah, mike bloomberg would be Lundgren. an interesting hire but it's hard to sell that i mean he hasn't had a winning season so um i i don't know i i just don't think chris peterson's going to go there like chris peterson has had opportunities to go to different places he said no to even you know any sort of interviews like he's waiting for stanford that doesn't really strike me as being logical
0: all right. Uh, are there any other jobs we, we didn't hit? I think uh, I think we got them all. At least the the most important ones. No, we got them. We hit them. Okay. Um, let's uh, talk about the championship games this weekend. So Friday night we got Utah USC from Las Vegas. USC's a three point favorite. I actually think USC is is going to take care of business and do so. You know, relatively comfortably, as comfortably as you can, given that their defense is. Uh, Still a work in progress, let's just say.
1: That's fair to say. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think Utah um, offensively just hasn't been the same since that game. And they played well against Colorado, but I don't really put a lot of stock into that. USC is operating at a very high level. So, yeah, SC by like 13, you know, 17 maybe. But, yeah, 10 to 13 points seems right.
0: And uh, if that's the way it goes down, it'll be, I think, really good for the sport to have USC in the playoff it's just been too long since they've been relevant, and that's what—that's why they pay Lincoln Riley all that money. So yep. they're already getting a great return on that investment. All right, Saturday at noon Eastern, you've got uh, Big 12 from Dallas, Kansas State, TCU. I mean, this could be really interesting. Kansas State's got such a high-powered offense. Uh, not great on defense necessarily, but they're very well coached. And, um, you know, I think TCU is, is going to be of the mentality that Let's just finish the job here. They're two and a half point favorites. Um, again, I think they're in regardless, but uh, you know, I, it's it's to me, it's definitely a coin flip type of game.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm taking Kansas State.
0: Really? Okay. De- yeah, definitely.
1: And my concern for TCU is that Kansas State beats them by 17, and we have this conversation Saturday about them not getting in at 12 and one because that's a possibility. Kansas State's playing very, very well. I mean, like really, really well for several weeks in a row. Ever since Will Howard took over at quarterback, they've just been just a different team. So I think Kansas State wins, and I think they could win to the point where TCU has to sweat it out. It's, It's definitely possible.
0: The thing is, though, Kansas State—they're—they're they're ten right now. If they win this game, they're going to be like number eight or number seven. So, is, is yeah. that a—is that really a bad loss for for TCU? I, especially when they've no. already beaten Kansas State. I don't think so. Exactly you know I mean? right.
1: The, the fact that they've beaten them already is going to be their saving grace. But I think it will. We're on the search for for debate. I think that might cause some debate on Saturday.
0: All right, Saturday at four, the SEC championship game, LSU Georgia. I honestly just have no interest in this game at all. Um, which is not what you normally say about an SEC championship game. LSU, they are what they are. You know, they they lost to Texas A&M <laughs> last weekend, um, which which basically you know took the slim hope LSU had of making the playoff off the table. Um, and uh, by the way, Jimbo's getting chesty. It was getting pretty chesty after that game for a five and seven coach. Yeah, uh, which no will... team running tempos
1: ever won a national championship. Oh God. Yeah, Jesus. I saw a bunch of tempo teams win six games this year, though. But I, I guess I understand what you're saying.
0: Um, Georgia's 17-and-a-half-point favorite. I mean, yeah. they should win the game.
1: They should, Dave. But I wonder... Motivation? Uh, motivation. But then, then like... You know Kirby's 1-3 in, in SEC Championship games? That
0: is a very strange stat, isn't it? Right.
1: So, I think he really needs to win this game. Not because Georgia won't make the playoff overall, but you don't want to get into a thing where you're like one and four in the sec title game it's just that's not a place that he wants to be yeah so georgia doesn't need to win to be in but they're going to win this game i mean they'd have to just truly not give a damn to lose this game
0: yeah look i think uh, we're going to have a conversation over the next several weeks about georgia i don't think georgia's impenetrable you know this Mm -hmm. year i think they're they've got some they've got some warts and i think they I think they're gettable, but I don't think they're gettable by LSU. No,
1: um,
0: I will be honestly locked in much more at four o'clock to the UCF Tulane AAC championship game because, you know, again, unbelievable opportunity for Tulane and they're four point favorites. They lost to UCF a few weeks back at home. Mm-hmm. Um, in a in a very close one, I, I think Tulane was uh not real happy with uh some things that transpired in that game from an officiating standpoint. You know, I think um I think it's really hard to beat a team twice in one season. I think it's extremely hard to beat them twice on the road in one season. And therefore I'm gonna take Tulane.
1: Yeah, Tulane's a safer pick. And I'm I'm a little bit swayed by the, the way Central Florida has played since that.
0: Yeah, not, lost, not so great.
1: And they barely beat South Florida. So Tulane seems very safe to pick for me
0: all right how about the big 10 title game at eight eastern purdue michigan purdue kind of emerged from that illinois iowa morass as as the team with, with um the cleanest uh the cleanest record but it's an eight and four purdue team good season for jeff Brom. i think michigan would have to just kind of not care i mean and look i don't know are they gonna sit if i'm them i'm not playing blake Corum. like why would you you're in the playoff, so uh, I mean, I guess Michigan's going to win, but I don't think it really matters.
1: <laughs> I'm going to hate watch this game. Yeah. I'm going to watch because we got nothing else going on, but this game does not interest me. I, I, I guess it's not like totally ridiculous that Purdue does like a Drew Brees style upset and gets to go to the Rose Bowl, but it just I saw a lot of Purdue this year, saw a lot of Michigan. I don't know how that's Going to come together for that,
0: and then at uh, eight o'clock we've also got the ACC: Clemson, North Carolina, but no playoff implications whatsoever. Nope. Um,
1: I may boycott that game. I may yeah. only on my phone score or follow that game.
0: It might be fun to watch if North Carolina's offense is rolling, and you know, we're we're if if North Carolina wins the game, we're going to get an epic Mac Brown afterwards. <laughs> That's the only yeah. reason to watch.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, look, I mean, a lot can change. This is still a good matchup. It just doesn't mean anything, and I'm being facetious. I'm going to watch the game, but, yeah, I don't really care about it. I don't care. Just don't care.
0: All right, so thanks for listening to the College Football Fix this week. We're going to drop a special bowl selection episode on Monday where we discuss the latest news and headlines going into the postseason So we'll have all the bowl matchups, the playoff matchups, everything. So subscribe to the College Football Fix podcast wherever you listen. And find more of our content on usatoday.com and the USA Today Sports Plus app. For producer Emily, for USA Today's college sports editor, Eric Smith. For Paul Meyerberg, I'm Dan Walken. Hope everybody has a great weekend. The College Football Fix podcast.